All right, welcome back to another edition of Baseball Banter. I'm your host, Justin Gianelli, on this Thursday, April the 21st, 2022. A day later than usual this week. Um, let's be honest, I just wasn't in the mood to talk baseball last night after the Brooklyn Nets uh, folded in the fourth quarter and lost game two to the Boston Celtics and now down two games to none in that NBA series. But it's not about the NBA on this podcast. It is about Major League Baseball, and we definitely have a few things on our plate. The Mets and the Giants just wrapped up a monster series in Queens. Um, We have some boycotting in Oakland, and we got some trouble... Trouble, maybe, in Chicago. Um, Right now, if you are... Well, you're going to be hearing this later, but... Yeah, and and another thing I want to talk about, maybe maybe I'll read up on it while I'm doing this podcast, but it it has to do with the TBS Tuesday Night Baseball uh, uh, package, because if it's on, I haven't seen it promoted, but I, I would doubt right now they'd be doing it because TNT and all that, you know, the Turner Networks have um, the contract with the NBA, with the NBA postseason. But let's begin by talking about the series that was between the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets. And it ended with the Mets taking three out of four. And you know, for the and for the Mets here, this is this was a good um, indicator to whether or not this team was going to be, you know. And of course, it's still early, but like, it's a good indicator whether or not this team could be for real or not. And you know, so far for the Mets, uh, things have things have looked really good. And you know, you get that terrific performance today from Carlos Carrasco. Going seven and two thirds, allowing two earned runs, uh, striking out seven. I mean, you could you couldn't have asked for more. And you know you had um, the nightcap on Tuesday being Max Scherzer's home debut, and he was absolutely electric. You know, taking the no hitter, taking taking a no hitter into the sixth inning, and you know you had the Mets taking the double header after. You know, the Mets swept the doubleheader. So the series was supposed to be Monday through Thursday. Monday's game got rained out. And they played the doubleheader Tuesday, and they played games three and four yesterday and today. Yesterday was the only game that the San Francisco Giants won in the series. Chris Bassett wasn't very good, although he was able to get get you know get his way through six innings despite a lot of five earned runs. And you know, how good and how good has Carlos Rodon been? You know, over the last couple of years, and so far he's he's looked to be a, a very very big piece of this San Francisco Giants rotation. He's lived up to it. You know, he's been he you know he's been fantastic. He's you know he shut down the Met lineup, and and look, you know they're going to need him at the top of the rotation. You know that Kevin Gausman was a big reason why they're pitching was so good a year ago, and now Kevin Gosman is in Toronto pitching for the Blue Jays. So you look at their rotation, and you 
you subtract uh, you subtract and why am I forgetting his name? Kevin Gosman and you add Carlos Verdon. Now Carlos Verdon only went five innings yesterday, allowed three hits, walked two, struck out eight. Um you know, and he he threw he did throw ninety five pitches, so I mean the Mets the Mets were making his pitch they were making his pitch count rise pretty quickly. But the Giants jumped out early, three in the first, a run in the second, a run in the fourth, and just like that, you're up 5 nothing, And, you know, it was a lackluster, it was a lackluster night for the Mets yesterday. And, you know, and then they come back today by getting a great performance from Carlos Carrasco. And you had Anthony DiSclafani pitch today for the Giants. Not all that not all that great. He threw five innings, gave up nine hits, five runs, walked one, struck out four, and allowed two home runs, one to Eduardo Escobar and one to Francisco Lindor. Um and more on Lindor in a minute, but Carlos Carrasco, again the story of the day, seven and two thirds, four hits, two runs, seven strikeouts, and you know, he picks up his first win of the season and he has looked extremely good. In his first three starts. Now, the first couple starts didn't turn out to be a decision involved, but he was given the victory today after a stellar performance. And the Mets win. And the Mets win six to two. They tack on a run in the eighth inning to um, take away a save opportunity. And, and you know, it's funny. The Mets are now ten and four on the season, and they only have two saves. If you can believe it. Um, Edwin Diaz picked up his first save of the year uh, just shortly before leaving for a few days to be on bereavement um, due to the passing of his grandfather. And while he was gone, while he was out, Trevor May picked up a save for the Mets. And that's been it. The Mets have just two saves out of, and they have 10 wins. You know, they, they've, they've won. They've won pretty convincingly and they've pitched so well. To start this year, you know, obviously, you know, we all know it's a long season. The Mets have played 14 games out of 162, right? There's 148 games left. That's a lot of games. Next thing you know, the Mets could be looking looking up at the standings in August and they're under 500. Now, I'm hoping that's not the case. I don't believe it'll be the case. And I do have a very good feeling about this Mets ball club that they're going to have a really good season. But, you know, you hold you hold reservation until at least Memorial Day. You know, Memorial Day is the first benchmark to where you could figure out whether or not your team is going to have a really good season. And like I've been saying before, you know, I felt like last year was smoke and mirrors, where as this year... It feels like the Mets are a more complete ball club. And now that has a lot to do with the addition of Eduardo Escobar. You know, Eduardo hits his first home run as a Met. You know, and here I mean here's a guy that in three eighteen who's been you know, has seven doubles on the on the season, but you know, he hadn't hit a home run yet. Gets his first home run today. Francisco Lindor goes three for five homers um uh, and drives in a run. You know, he's got four home runs, 10 RBIs. And how about Mark Hanna? Two for four today. 
He's playing his second game after missing the weekend series with the Diamondbacks and the first two games of the doubleheader against the Giants um, with, with COVID-19. And he picks up two RBIs today. And Mark Hanna's batting 379 after a two-for-four two four performance. So they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. They're getting contributions from the starting pitching. And the bullpen has, and the bullpen has played really well of late. And while I still think that the bullpen is going is their biggest weakness and the thing that could rear its ugly head late in the season. But at the same time, the bullpen is also an area where you can always improve because guys are gonna get DFA. You're gonna throw a dart at the wall and hope it and hope it sticks. Because if I picking up a reliever and and, and or by and or via trade come the July 31st trade deadline because, you know, teams are going to be out of it. Relievers are going to be on sale. They're going to be up for trade. And, you know, you'll be able to improve the bullpen that way. So, at the same, so while, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's a long way away from teams getting into sell mode, at the same time, it is one of the more one of the easier things to upgrade. And obviously, health is the biggest thing with every single team. And, you know, every team's going to go through their injuries, and I'm sure the Mets will as well. But the, the preparedness of Buck Showalter has really showed itself um, early in the season. I mean, you saw it on Sunday, and I, and I believe I talked about this on the last baseball banter, you saw it on Sunday in Mets Diamondbacks where um, Dominic Smith was on third base and J.D. Davis was on first and a sack fly is hit. And Smith comes in and scores and it's 3 um, nothing Mets. Well, Arizona went to go appeal and because they thought Dominic Smith left early. And Dominic Smith... What, he didn't, you know, the, the call was correct. He left on time. But what happened was J.D. Davis went to go steal second base and get himself in a rundown. Why was that significant? Because if J.D. Davis got out, got tagged out, the run counts and you can't appeal. So once Oliver Perez stepped off the mound, and started chasing after J.D. Davis. And then they threw to third. The appeal is off. Because that counts as a play. And it was the... You know... And it's one of the things that... You know, we've heard is that Buck Showalter... Went... In detail... Discussing all of the rules. And, and I don't think every manager does this. And I'm certainly sure that... Luis Rojas... Mickey Calloway... They weren't doing those things... With the Mets in spring training. The Mets were practicing a fake World Series celebration last year. This year, Buck Showalter is going over the rules in detail. Every single rule to create any kind of loophole. Because not every team is going to read every single uh, sentence of the rule book. But Buck Showalter pays that much attention to detail. And another thing that impressed me with Buck Walter was his managing 
in the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Now, I will start by saying I did think that Brandon Nimmo should have hit for Travis Jankowski in that ninth inning, and maybe we don't go to extras. But at the same time, you know, what he did in this game was a pure genius. So let's take it to the seventh inning of the first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Joely Rodriguez pitches a scoreless seventh inning, a hitless seventh. So top of the eighth, Jock Peterson's due to lead off. And Darren Ruff was in the on-deck circle in the, in the seventh inning in case Wilmer Flores got on base. Wilmer didn't, and Jock Peterson was due to lead off. Now, Buck Showalter had Seth Lugo warming up in the bullpen. Seth Lugo was pitching the eighth inning. But Gabe Kapler didn't call his bluff because to start the eighth inning... Buck Showalter sent Joely Rodriguez back out to the mound. What happens is Gabe Kapler calls Jock Peterson back and sends Darren Ruff up to the plate. And then Buck Showalter goes and makes the move because Joely Rodriguez pitched the whole inning in the seventh. So he fulfilled his quota of facing three hitters. And now... Jock Peterson, a guy who homered earlier in the game, is now out of the game. And Darren Ruff ends up, you know, ends up getting out. And the move just shows how, how smart he is. But, you know, Gabe Kapler at this point in his career... He's a veteran manager, too. He's been around for four or five years now. He should, you know, if if that was the case, and, you know, he should have called his bluff. And, you know, but then you, but then you have the lefty-lefty matchup, and you see, it, it puts, it, it puts Kapler in a difficult situation because, if he keeps, you know, if he does, you know, if he keeps Peterson, then if he keeps Peterson because he doesn't believe that, you know, Rodriguez is going to pitch the eighth, then Buck Walter could say, well, okay, you're going to send up Peterson. I will keep Joel Rodriguez in. And then I have the lefty-lefty matchup. So either way, the Mets had the hand in this advantage because it was either going to be lefty-lefty or righty-righty. And it worked out, despite getting into trouble. Uh, Seth Lugo worked the scoreless eighth, and the Giant, you know, the Giants after two in the second, two in the third, they didn't score again. And then the Mets end up walking it off in the tenth inning, um, which was another major thing because in the tenth inning, after Travis Jankowski and James, well, and Dom, well, Dominic Smith pinch it for James McCann at the bottom of the ninth. But Travis Jankowski batted for himself. But to the, to the top of the 10th, because McCann was hit for, Tom, Tomas Nito is sent into the game. Tomas Nito sent into the game. 
to catch. Brandon Nimmo goes to the outfield. Buck Showalter makes it, turns it into a double switch. Why was that significant? Dominic Smith made the last out of the ninth inning and with the automatic runner for the 10th inning with the, four, the free runner on second base. That means the nine spot is the person that goes on to on base. So Brandon Nimmo was put in the nine spot and Tomas Nito was put in the eight spot. So Nimmo became the free runner on second base. And then obviously uh, Francisco Lindor ends up walking it off for the Mets. And he had a two for five day with two RBIs in game one of the doubleheader. And it just goes to show you all the experience, all the years managed by Buck Showalter paying off in these moves. Again, and look, we're not going to agree with everything Buck Showalter does. There are questions, like I, like I said before, I, I was surprised that Travis Jankowski hit for himself and that Brandon Nimmo didn't hit in that spot. And I would have thought for sure that would have been a situation where you pinch it for Brandon Nemo. But you, they didn't. And But hey, look, they won the game. Adam Adovino picks up his first win as a Met. And you just, you don't, you, you know, you don't, you know, critique every move when a manager wins. Because winning is obviously the most important thing. And then, you know, and then you have game number two. Where Max Scherzer was absolutely filthy. You know, a no-hitter through five and two-thirds. Ends up only allowing the one hit. Goes seven innings. Walked three. Struck out ten. Allowed the one run. And, tre- you know, and Trevor May... Trevor May ends up getting the save. And that was a battle between Scherzer and Logan Webb. And Logan Webb wasn't all that great. You know, one of the, you know, the the biggest difference between the Mets and the Giants in these two games here on Tuesday were that the Mets and Mets got lent out of their starters and the Giants didn't. You know, Alex Cobb got pulled after four and a third, allowing six hits, four runs, three earned, four strikeouts. And he threw, and he was only only through sixty pitches, but you know Gabe Kapler chose to take him out. Tyler McGill, despite you know struggling in the second and third inning, he really settled down and gave the Mets six innings of four runs on seven hits, walked two, struck out four, and you know that really saves the bullpen when you can get six seven innings out of your starting pitcher. They did use four. They did use four pitchers in that game. Rodriguez, Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz, and Adam Adam Adovino pitched an inning, and then in game two, again Logan Webb gets taken out of the three and two thirds. Now he had racked up a pretty you know in less than four innings, seventy five pitches is a significant pitch count, and he you know wasn't able to get out of the fourth inning, and Max Scherzer goes seven innings. And throws just a shade over a hundred pitches, and then you had Drew Smith and Trevor and Trevor May finish it off. But I mean, when you got pitchers going deep into ball games, it really just puts an ease to your bullpen. You're, you're not over You're not overstressing the bullpen. 
which is when they're vul- they're most vulnerable. And it we're starting to see the reins being taken off these starting pitchers. Max Scherzer threw over a hundred pitches. Carlos Carrasco today, I believe, reached over ninety pitches. Um, I'll check that in a second when I, you know, look at today's box score. So, you know, you had the Mets sweeping the doubleheader. They won game two, three to one. Obviously, we talked about last night's game, a six to two victory. I'm, I'm sorry, we talked about last night's game, which was the um, the Giants win, a five to five to two, and that's where they got the great performance out of Carlos Rodon. Chris Bassett wasn't all that great. But again, Chris Bassett still ended up giving you six innings and 97 pitches. So the, now the Mets starting pitchers, the only one who really hasn't thrown a full workload yet in terms of pitch counts <coughs> is Tyler McGill. And I know that they're trying to kind of ease his innings as a younger pitcher. Um, they're going to ease his innings and try to spread it out a little bit so they can have him over the full season. And, you know, but Tyler Tyler McGill really bounced back from a a shaky start to the game on Monday. Chris Bassett bounced back as well after giving up five runs in the first four innings and ends up shutting shutting the Giants out over the final couple innings, you know, giving the Mets six innings. And and then today you had Carlos Carrasco going uh, seven and two-thirds. And in seven and two-thirds, Carlos Carrasco threw 91 pitches. So now you have a rotation that can throw 90 to 100 pitches in in their starts. And it can get more length out of the starting rotation, especially if they're pitching this efficiently. You know, you could throw 100 pitches in five innings and, you know, not be efficient because you might not have had the best command that day. You might not have felt the best. But... You know, when you're pitching like this and you get the depth out of the starting pitching, today the Mets only needed four outs out of the bullpen. Joely Rodriguez got out of the eighth inning with one batter, and then Edwin Diaz pitched a pitched a hitless ninth with two strikeouts, and the and the Mets got and the Mets got the victory. So, you know, all in all, I mean, it was a terrific, uh, just an absolutely terrific performance from the New York Mets. And and a, and a terrific series victory. So that was uh, thought number one. Thought number two is something that's going on in Oakland, and that's the boycott of fans. Now, the A's have just opened up their home schedule, and you know they are. You know we know how bad they are. We know we know how bad of a team they are, but. And how little, how little money they spend, and you know, it's hard to just look. It's hard to look at this and say this is okay because it's not. Now you had the you had the um, you had the A start off on a pretty hefty road trip. They were they started with uh, three at Philadelphia. And then went to Tampa Bay for four. And then went to Toronto for three games. So they started the season with a 10-game road trip. Now, obviously, if the season had started a week earlier, on March 31st, they would have um, they would have obviously started off the season at home. But, you know, they didn't come home 
until Monday, April 18th. And on opening day, you know, opening day is the time where you get, you know, the big crowd. You get you get everybody in the building. Their attendance for opening day was 17,503, which is very, very light for opening day. And, you know, it's understand it's understandable how frustrated these fans are because you saw all these pieces traded away. You saw Sean Maniah traded away. You saw Chris Bassett traded away. Um, you know, there's multiple, you know, multiple, you know, you saw Matt Chapman get traded away. You saw Matt Olson get traded away. It's understandable how frustrated this fan base is because they just don't spend the money. They're not spending any money. I mean, here, and here, and here they are, you know, you know, winning, winning some games early on, but you know, still it's, it's a, it's a horrendous product on the field. I mean, I mean, here's, Here's the lineup that they put out. This is from Tuesday's game. And I want to point out Tuesday because of the attendance. And But this is the lineup. Tony Kemp was leading off at DH. Sheldon Noisy was batting second at third base. Sean Murphy's the catcher. And he's probably another trade candidate. Billy McKinney is the cleanup hitter in right field. Christian Bethencourt. Is was the first baseman. He was fifth. Elvis Andrews, we remember him from the Rangers. Uh, he was sixth. Seth Brown was seventh in left field. We know about the top prospect from the Atlanta Braves, Christian Pache. He came in the Matt Olson trade. Um, he was eighth, and then Nick Allen batted ninth. I mean, that's just a. And Cole Irvin was a starting pitcher. That's just a terrible. A terrible lineup. It's a lineup of not even trying. I mean, not that the Orioles line. And let's listen, their first home series of the year against the Baltimore Orioles. Ugh. I mean, there couldn't have been a worse opening week performance. There couldn't have been a worse opening week uh, opponent for the Oakland A's than the Baltimore Orioles, who are running out Cedric Mullins. Uh, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini, Austin Hayes, Ramon Urias, Robinson Chirinos, uh, Kevin, uh, Kelvin Gutierrez, and Jorge Mateo. I mean, that's almost as bad, if not worse, than the Oakland A's. But on Tuesday, an attendance of 3,000 748 people. It's just an utter embed. Their minor league, Triple A team, uh, I think they're called the Las Vegas Aviators. They drew they drew over 2,000 more people than the Oakland A's did. And if you thought that was bad on Wednesday night, last night, 2,703 people. Now, today was a little bit better. Today was slightly better. Not by much. Slightly better. 4,429. I mean, they're they're not even going to draw close to it. I don't even know if the A's are going to draw close to a half a million. Like, it's going to be really bad this year. And 
look, we know this is a franchise in, in, a, in a bad way and a franchise that hasn't spent any money and a franchise that has had issues with the city of Oakland about a new stadium and they've been fighting about that for years. I think it's a foregone conclusion that this franchise is gone. And it's sad, it's sad for the city of Oakland because they've been there for so long after moving from Philadelphia and Kansas City. But I don't know if the relationship is salvageable between the athletics and their owners and the city of Oakland. I mean, we've already seen... The Raiders get up and leave. They've got up and left a couple of times. You know, the the Raiders moved to Los Angeles at one point in time. And then the Raiders come back to Oakland. And they're still playing in that dump of a coliseum. And then Mark Davis moved the franchise to Las Vegas. And they got that brand new stadium. And Las Vegas is a very, very real destination for the A's. And... It's clear that the city of Oakland is not supporting their sports teams. I mean, even the Golden State Warriors got up and left. Now, granted, they're in the Bay Area still. But they're across the Bay in San Francisco. And and clearly, the city of San Francisco is thriving. I mean, you look at, you look at the franchises in the city of San Francisco. I mean, the 49ers... We're in the NFC Championship game, and they made it to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And the 49ers franchise, they, they'll put plenty of money into it. And they have good they have good ownership with Jed York, good, good general manager and John Lynch. And then you look at the San Francisco Giants, the Oakland A's big counterpart in Major League Baseball. A team that won 107 games a year ago. And yes, they lost 3 or 4 to the Mets, and they're 8-5 and five on the year now, but... But let's, you know, let's not, you know, get too worried about them. They're a team poised to win 100 games yet again. And be in battle with the Los Angeles Dodgers as the best team in the National League West. So you're you're seeing the sports teams thrive in San Francisco, but fail in Oakland. And I can't help but wonder... That it's just if it's not just about ownership, especially with the A's. I mean, I I think Mark Davis just got fed up with the fight with the city council for a new stadium in Oakland. And he said, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to Vegas. Maybe the A's owners have had enough too. But it but they need the rep but they are also gonna need the revenue to spend on their team. And that's where this becomes a bigger issue, especially in a sport with no salary cap and no salary floor. I mean, the, the, the ridiculous number of low payrolls in Major League Baseball is alarming. And I don't know what we're going to do about it because the, the players you know, they don't, don't want a salary cap. And they clearly don't want a floor. But you would think a floor, a salary floor, will help some of these teams and they'll spend the money. And, okay, perfect. 
Perfect example right here. This matchup between the Baltimore Orioles and the Oakland A's, the two lowest payrolls in all of baseball. $45 million for the Baltimore Orioles. $53 million altogether for the um, Oakland A's. And if you look at the 30, at the 26-man payroll, you know, on the 26-man roster, $31.6 million for the Oakland A's, $35.6 million for the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, a payroll should not be lower than the, the highest-paid players in the league. It just shouldn't. I mean, you look at some of the you look at some of the top the, the top spending teams. I mean, the L.A. Dodgers have committed to two hundred and eighty-eight million dollars for the total payroll, two hundred eighty-eight and a half million dollars, and two hundred thirty-three point six on the current twenty-six man roster. The New York Mets have a two hundred fifty-eight million dollar payroll and two hundred twenty-eight point seven on the active roster. The Yankees, a $228 million payroll on the active roster, $245 million overall. I mean, but, and it's not, don't give me, it's about the markets because even the Colorado Rockies have a $137 million payroll, which is respectable. The league average right now sits at $148 million. The league average for a payroll is $148 million. I understand we have our extremes, but you look at some of the teams in the middle. Detroit's not a big not Detroit's not a particularly big market. They're at $137 million. Around similar to where the Rockies are at. The Twins are at $134 million. The Brewers are at $130 million. I mean, if you're a mid to low market team and you're over $100 million, you're spending the money you can. And you're giving a damn for your fan base. I mean, the Brewers are one of the best pitching have one of the best pitching rotations in all of baseball. They have a former MVP and Christian Yelich in their lineup. I mean, so you know these teams. I mean, even the Nationals in a rebuilding year. Now DC is a little bit of a larger market, but DC in a re, in a in a rebuilding year, hundred and thirty million dollar payroll. Now, granted, 87 on their active roster, 41 not. But, and, and, but we know that they're rebuilding and they, ha- and they still are spending the money to a degree. Not everybody needs to spend over $200 million. Now, and, there's only, and there's only six teams in baseball that are over $200 million with the payroll. I mean, the Boston Red Sox have the lowest $200 million payroll with $203.8 million. And then it's the Padres at 216.6. And the Phillies at two thirty three point seven, and and God, I mean, we talked about the Phillies the other day. How about I mean, they are just an absolute nightmare right now. But you know, be that as it may, um, you you can't be having these ridiculously low payrolls. I mean, even the Cleveland Guardians are at sixty three point seven million on their active payroll, but that's because that's part of it's because they paid Jose Ramirez that large extension. And, you know, good for them. They finally paid one of their own to stay for the long term. So, it's just it's just unbelievable. I mean, even the Reds, even though they've dumped a bunch of people, now their active payroll is down to $61.1 million And 
you know, they, they, the, the Cincinnati Reds have no intention of winning. And, um, you know, but, the, but they've still spent more on their roster than the Oakland A's have. And it's just an embarrassment. And at some point, at some point that they're going to have to they're going to have to determine whether or not they're going to stay in this in the city of Oakland and speaking of the Reds because that's the next thing I want to that that that's the next thing I want to move on to because they they're getting what they deserve at this point because Team president Phil Castellini, who is the son of the team owner Bob Castellini, um, he told WLW, which is the main radio, the main sports talk station in Cincinnati, uh, that ownership is no more pleased than the result with the results of the fans. Uh, and after that's after threatening that's that's after threatening to move the team, and some of these comments are just. You know, irresponsible for an owner because Reds fans were upset that they traded franchise players like uh, Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, and um, you know we know Nick Castellanos went to the Phillies, and you know they really have shown no intention of winning. And here's here, here's a direct quote: "Where are you gonna go? Let's start there. I mean, sell the team to who?" If you want to look at what you would do with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money, compete in the current, compete more in the current economic system that, that this game exists, it would be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. So that's what you tell your fan base that's frustrated. Look, the Reds have had some decent seasons over the last few years, especially in, in the earlier Joey Votto days, but like. This team hasn't won anything in over 30 years. Their last championship was 1990. The Cincinnati Reds are a proud franchise with multiple world championships. The Big Red Machine, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. I mean, a proud franchise. And this is where they're at right now. It's an utter embarrassment. And here they are with this exciting young starting pitcher, Hunter Green, who throws 102 miles an hour on every fastball. He's so talented, but but what? I mean, and you have the, the, the reigning rookie of the year champion. Now, unfortunately, he got hurt. I, I saw him get hurt against the Dodgers a couple of days ago. Um, Jonathan India. And you hope he gets he gets well soon, gets back out of the field um, as soon as possible. But at the same time, the Reds are another one of these embarrassing franchises right now, and it's it's the biggest problem in baseball right now. Is that there's too many there's too many fan bases that go into a season knowing that they just have zero shot, and that that's a problem. And look, I, I can use this for an example as a Jet fan, as a New York Jet fan in football. I know my team has no chance. 
to 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 win a Super Bowl. But I mean, you just watched the Cincinnati Bengals go from a four win team to a Super Bowl appearance in a, in the span of a year. And the year before that, they won two games. And that's how they got Joe Burrow. The turnaround is so much quicker in other sports. You're just stuck in this purgatory of hell. And losing hell. When you're not spending the money on the, fan, on the franchise. And you, you, you can't tell me. You can't tell me it's not profitable enough. It, it, it has to be profitable enough. If, and if it's not, and if, and if you can't afford it, you have to sell the team. It's just, just the nature of it. It really is. It's unfortunate, but, you know, that's the only... I don't know how things are going to change if the players aren't going to agree to a salary cap. They don't even agree to a salary floor. There's nothing to deter tanking. This new lottery system for the first few picks of the draft, I think they got up to the first six picks, uh, will be put into a lottery. That's still not going to deter you from tanking because you're still going to get a top pick. So I don't know what's going to happen to deter this kind of tanking and the lack of spending. I, I just don't. I wish I had the answers, but I just don't. I don't. So, another thing I want to talk about is today is unfortunately we are not coming on to celebrate Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit. He still is one shy. He had a terrific night last night. Was three for his first three last night. After, you know, he started the Yankee series on Tuesday, five hits away. Picked up a hit on Tuesday night to go to 2,996 hits. And then last night, in his first three at-bats, picked up three hits to get right on the cusp of 2,999. But after uh, making an out in his final at-bat, Yesterday, and then an offer today, um, Miguel Cabrera still sits uh, at 2,999 hits. Next up for the Detroit Tigers on their schedule is going to be tomorrow against the Colorado Rockies. Antonio Sensatella takes them out for the Rockies. So, But the good news is, they are at home, and, and this will this will be a much nicer milestone to see Miggy get this at home. So, look, we are we are anxiously awaiting the milestone. You know, the next active player on the hits list is Robinson Cano, and he's over. 350 hits away, I want to say. We probably would be talking about Robbie Cano 3000 if he didn't, you know, have it, you know, have his steroid issues both the first time with Seattle and then losing the entire 2021 season because of PEDs. And another another thing we're watching with Miggy is he's at 599 doubles. So there's a very possible chance that his 3,000th hit could be his 600th double. 
I mean, and when you just you just marvel at his career stats. 310 career batting average, 502 homers, and 1,807 RBIs. And then he's got, you know, obviously the 2,999 hits, 599 doubles, 1,510 runs scored. I mean, he's a two-time MVP. He's an 11-time All-Star. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer's Hall of Famer. He's an exclusive Hall of Famer. Not a guy who's just going to skate by and just get in. No, no. There's no doubt. When you look at the back of Miguel Cabrera's baseball card and you watch him in the and you watched him in the prime of his career. You know, both with the Marlins and with the Detroit Tigers when he first got there. I mean, you you knew Cooperstown was going to be calling his name and it will be you know, in 6 years after he hangs it up, but you know, it we're still on we're still on the, on that watch. Obviously, we're on the Albert Pujols milestone watch too. Um, he's still at two home runs, so you know he's he's nineteen away from that magic seven hundred number. So, I mean, look, we are you know we are fast approaching the end of the first month. You know and. And look, I know there's a lot of talk about, and, and the final thought on Cabrera is I know there was a lot of talk about the whole intentional walk to Miggy in the eighth inning to load the bases. But I mean, in a one nothing game, of course the Yankees were going to do that to try to uh, turn a double play and you know get out of the inning. But you know Austin Meadows burns them and. They they score the two runs and the Tigers won today three nothing. But I, I mean, look, it is we're getting impatient. So get 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 that three thousandth hit, Maggie. So before I close up, let's uh, kind of take a look around the around the major leagues. There are only two games remaining across Major League Baseball. Everything else has gone final. Um, so we'll start with the finals. Earlier today, the Cleveland Guardians pulled off a three-game sweep of the Chicago White Sox, six to three. Zach Plesac gets the win over Dylan uh, Dylan Cease as the White Sox pound out thirteen hits, six runs on thirteen hits today, knocking off the White Sox. The aforementioned Tigers, behind Michael Pineda, five scoreless innings. Beat the Yankees 3-0. Third time this year already the Yankees have been shut out. And they are... I mean, they've continued to scuffle offensively. Uh, Blue Jays defeat the Red Sox 3-2. Kevin Gossman gets the win over Tanner Houck. And, you know, Tanner Houck is going to be one of those guys that I think it's uh, next month... It's next... Can't remember if it's Monday or if it's uh, next weekend, but the Blue Jays are supposed to, are set are set to host the Red Sox in the coming week, week or two, and Tanner Houck is one of the Red Sox who will not be traveling uh, due to the, due to COVID the COVID nineteen vaccine and him not getting it. So that's another storyline to watch out for, as was reported by John Heyman. Seems like the Yankees. Players who were unvaccinated eventually got their shot 
and everybody will be available for the Yankees come May 2nd when the Yankees hit the Toronto. Twins beat the Royals um, today one to nothing behind a stellar performance from Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan today went six innings, allowed two hits, one walk, and five strikeouts as the Twins get the, get a shutout victory, go to five and eight on the year. A's defeat the Orioles six to four. Oakland's now eight and six on the year. Baltimore drops to four and nine. Uh, Chase Blackburn, I'm sorry, Paul Blackburn gets the victory. Uh, five innings, three hits, one run, four strikeouts for the for Oakland. The Diamondbacks knock off the Washington Nationals four to three. Uh, the Diamondbacks will be flying back home to face the Mets this weekend. After the Mets, after the Mets series win, the Diamondbacks series win. Zach Davies gets the victory. Five innings, two hits, two walks, set, two runs, seven strikeouts. Uh, Jesse Rogers gets the loss for the Nationals. And a final in Miami. The Marlins shut out the Cardinals 5 to nothing behind seven stellar shutout innings from Pablo Lopez. Seven innings pitched, three hits, nine strikeouts. He's got a .52 ERA in the early going. Uh, Jordan Hicks pitches three innings in the loss for the Cardinals. Just five hits on the day. We talked obviously we talked about the Mets six to two victory. Uh, the, the two games going on right now, top of the seventh in Pitts in Chicago. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates up four to three. Um in the top half of the seventh inning, as they will they be going? They just started the top of the seventh. Um, that matchup has Br- uh, Bryce Wilson on the mound against uh, Mark Leiter Jr. Both starters obviously long gone at this point. Rowan Wick is the current pitcher for the Cubs on the mound, and then you have the Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners just underway. And man. It's been a rough beginning for the Texas Rangers, uh, and today was no better. Today was no better. The Mariners scoring five in the first. Taylor Hearn was getting the start for the Rangers, but he decided to walk three, and then you had the home runs. You had you had the home run from J.P. Crawford, and you had a home run from Ty France. The only two hits in that inning, if the if France had a two-run homer to get the scoring started, then J.P. Crawford took him deep for a three-run homer, and that's the only two hits so far. But, I mean, I don't know what to say about the Rangers. I mean, we knew they were going to struggle a little bit because of their pitching, and now John Gray is back on the injured list. But, you know... I didn't expect them to be this bad. They're two and nine, worst winning percentage in the American League right now at a one eighty two win percentage. I don't know what to make of them. Uh, I mean, they were supposed to be a much improved team with their hitting, and it really hasn't panned out that way. So, 
you know, we'll see if they can bounce back. And we'll see if they if they can get it going moving forward. But they're going to dig themselves... They're going to dig themselves quite the hole early on, you know, with good teams like Seattle and Houston in that American League West, and, and the Angels even, you know, off to a nice a nice start this season. So, final thoughts before we before we close up shop. The final thought: Players of the Week from April 11th to April 17th was announced on Monday. The American League Player of the Week was Cleveland Guardians third baseman Jose Ramirez last week. Batted 478 with two home runs, 11 RBIs, and a 1,432 OPS. And in the National League, Saya Suzuki, a 412 batting average. He was 7 for 17 last week. Three home runs, two doubles, five RBIs, five walks, and a 1,604 OPS. So congratulations to those two on the Players of the Week Award. So that's going to do it for this edition of Baseball Banter. Uh, we'll talk to you on, uh, again on Sunday night. We'll recap the weekend series, you know, and look, you know, look ahead to some of the big series coming up next week. And you know, biggest biggest series this weekend we're watching would definitely say the Red Sox Rays and America League East battle is one of them. Um, and then Dodgers and Padres. I think those those are the two biggest series of the weekend. And those are going to be the games that we are watching. Um, MLB Network on Saturday night has a Saturday night showcase at 8.30 p.m. The LA Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. So make sure to check, it, check that out. Sunday on MLB Network, Red Sox at Rays at 1 p.m. Dodgers, Padres at 4 p.m. So, you know, plenty of... You know, plenty of good baseball on MLB Network this weekend. And, you know, go go enjoy the baseball. So, have a good night. We will talk to you again on Sunday.